We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 246 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, as we have Russell Fever in the nation's capital. All kinds of talk about our commanders potentially trading for Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. And now some discussion about the Wizards potentially reacquiring Russell Westbrook. Have you seen this? Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington on Monday afternoon tweeted the following, quote, a scenario told to me from someone whose identity I will protect. Lakers trade Westbrook for Wall. Rockets buy Russ out. Russ signs with Wizards, end quote. How about that? The Los Angeles Lakers trade Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets for John Wall and what would be, of course, a second installment of a Westbrook for Wall trade. The Rockets buy out Westbrook and Westbrook signs with the Wizards. Why the heck not? Things can't get much worse for the Wizards, although I probably shouldn't say that. Things always can get worse, but so many things swirling with the Wizards with the NBA trade deadline coming this Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook, we could be swimming in Russells in Washington, D.C. shortly. Well, when it comes to Russell Wilson, I have a special guest for you on the show, Joe Fan. He is the co-host of the Bet to Win podcast, but he also knows Wilson and the Seahawks quite well. Joe covered the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest. Joe is going to lay out what exactly is going on here with Wilson and the Seahawks, what kind of a guy Wilson is, and whether the Seahawks trading Wilson to the Commanders is plausible. Spoiler alert, this could happen. Do not dismiss this. You do not want to miss my conversation with Joe Fan, not Joe the Fan, as Coach John Thompson used to say on his radio show. Coach Thompson used to call himself Joe the Fan. No, this is Joe Fan, F-A-N-N. Additionally, regarding the Commanders, next segment, in fact, I have a few things for you, including this. Given all that has come out in the workplace misconduct scandal in recent days, is it time to look at that Sports Junkies report from a little less than a year ago differently? Uh, You remember the report, right? The sports junkies last March 5th said that they had received information from Beth Wilkinson's report on her findings in the investigation into the workplace misconduct scandal for Washington. Among the recommendations for the junkies was, quote, force the owner to divest ownership of his team, end quote. Well, given that we now know that Wilkinson initially was told to put together a written report before being told to only do an oral report. Could it be that the written report that the junkies cited was legit uh, and that one of her recommendations was, in fact, for Dan Snyder to sell the team? I'm going to talk about all of this shortly. Uh, I mentioned the Wizards. I will talk about them on the show. Uh, The Wizards, mercifully, now are done until 
the NBA trade deadline on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. No games left for the Wizards until after the deadline. Now, the Wizards got blown out again on Monday night, a 121-100 loss to the now Eastern Conference leading Miami Heat at Capital One Arena as, according to Chase Hughes, Bradley Beal and his agent met with Wizards management prior to the game. Also, I'll talk Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball. What a Monday night for the Cavaliers and the Hokies. Each team is rolling right now. Virginia won its third straight, a 69-68 win at number seven Duke. Reese Beekman connecting on a game-winning three with seven-tenths of a second left in the second half. Virginia Tech won its fourth straight, 74-47 over Pitt at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to reach thousands of people every day to grow your business or practice, put the power of the pod to work for you. Podcast advertising, very affordable, very much gives you a bang for your buck. Just hit us up again. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Darren Painter on our conversation with NFL draft analyst Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge on Monday's show, episode 245. Thor was great talking quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft off the senior bowl. Thor very high on Malik Willis as a potential option for the commanders who Thor feels might actually have to trade up to take Willis, but writes Darren, wow, it was refreshing to hear a thorough review of the QBs at the Senior Bowl from Thor Nystrom. Malik stood out and is on the rise. Uh, Yes, he is, Darren, very much so. Along those lines, tweet from someone calling him or herself, here for bull shiz. That's S-H-I-Z. Prediction, Malik Willis is going to be hyped right into the first overall pick come April. Yeah, I would not dismiss that. You know, I know what people are saying, generally speaking, about the quarterback class for this 2022 NFL draft. That is that the quarterback class isn't good. But when stocks of quarterbacks and NFL drafts skyrocket, those stocks can lead to those quarterbacks being taken with number one overall picks, despite that not necessarily having been considered likely when the draft process for each draft began. Uh, This happened with Cam Newton in 2011. This happened with Kyler Murray in 2019. So while I wouldn't like put money on Malik Willis ultimately going number one in the 2022 draft, I wouldn't dismiss that possibility either. Uh, Email from Kim in Pennsylvania on the reveal of the name commanders and all of the workplace misconduct scandal stuff that has been out there in recent days. Writes Kim, the name reveal was interesting, had mixed emotions about it, but did have to watch. I'm a fan, so it's what you do. But I'm also a fan who this team needs to win back. About eight years ago, I'd take a weekend and meet my girlfriends down at FedEx Field. We were wows, women of Washington. This was hosted by the Redskins and was to encourage female fans. We'd have mimosas under the designated tent and had fun. The team gave out swag too. We had a blast. Our team was a mixed bag of competitiveness back then for various reasons that you've explored. So after a couple of years of team struggles, the hassle of the stadium location and the overall cost got the best of us and we bailed on going. I still gave up sunny and warm Sundays to watch my team on television, stayed up late on Monday nights to watch and fed my kids Redskins smack to share with the kiddies at the elementary lunch table. Most recently, however, our team has hit new territory. The team owner meddled with the draft to get us his QB, costing us real draft capital. The owner also brought shame upon our team with the workplace scandal. Now we've lost our team name. It is so discouraging. I really feel it. My Redskins team was a big deal to me. This owner has poisoned everything now. So when we got our new name, there really wasn't any good way to do it. It is another slap on a weathered face. Well, thank you for the email, Kim. Well done. You know, something that probably doesn't get talked about enough is how many female fans that the NFL has. Are you aware of what the percentages are? NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell at his State of the League press conference during Super Bowl week in 2020, so two years ago, said that the league for the 2019 season had reached an all-time high of 187.3 million fans with 40 
47% made up by women. Yes, 47%. I could not get over that percentage when the Roger declared that a few years ago. That was a shockingly high percentage of female fans. And so it'll be interesting to see if this workplace misconduct scandal and the way that the NFL has handled it in any way lessens female fandom of the NFL. My guess is that the scandal will not lessen female fandom of the NFL one bit because that's how these things tend to go. When you have something as popular as the NFL, it becomes Teflon. Nothing can truly hurt it. And people are more than willing to compartmentalize and rationalize scandals so that they can continue to enjoy that thing that is so popular. And honestly, I'm not mad at anyone who just wants to enjoy NFL football and doesn't want to think about the other stuff with the league. Sports are meant to be a distraction from real life. If you don't want real life things with football messing with your enjoyment of football, I don't blame you. Uh, Email from Kevin on the potential nickname of commies for commanders. Now, as I've said, the commies joke has been made like a million times, but I do appreciate creativity. And so writes Kevin, we need to fully embrace commies as the nickname. It's unfortunately the most organic piece of branding to come out of the whole process. And we don't want our division rivals to weaponize it against us. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to embrace commanders unless I can stick this whole thing back to Dan by calling them the commies. Plus, it would be hilarious. Just think of this. FedEx Field equals the Gulag. Dan Snyder equals Dear Leader. Montez Sweat and Chase Young equal the Hammer and the Sickle. The Defense equals the Red Scare. Turnovers equal Seizing the Means of Production. The Fight Song equals the Soviet Anthem etc, etc. Love the show. Keep crushing it. Kevin, my comrade. Uh, Thank you for that. Very well done. Hey, I was a big fan of the television show The Americans on FX, an outstanding show if you've never watched it. So uh, if we could somehow incorporate Peter and Elizabeth Jennings into all of this, then I just may be on board with commies as a nickname for commanders. Maybe there's some sort of a tie-in between Dan and Tanya Snyder and Philip and Elizabeth Jennings. I don't know. Well, if you watch the show, The Americans, which took place in Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. in the 1980s, you know that as the series goes on, the Jennings travel agency goes down the tubes. Uh, Not good. If only Philip and Elizabeth would have contacted Imageworks. Yes, Imageworks, a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. If you want to grow your business, if your business needs to improve its overall customer experience, if you want to impress clients with the story that your business tells digitally, then you should put Imageworks to work for you, especially because Imageworks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks is located in the DMV, but Imageworks serves the entire country. So no matter where you're listening, Imageworks can work for you. So what's the offer? Well, Imageworks is offering a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. Imageworks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via Imageworks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. Imageworks clients range from startups to small and mid-sized businesses. Imageworks specializes in technology and in business-to-consumer services such as home services and medical services. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com. That's image, one word, works, plural, creative.com, imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Again, imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and just mention the Al Galdi podcast for a free review of your website and SEO visibility. You can also call or text the owner of Imageworks, Scott. His number is 703-928-7309. Again, call him or text him. The phone number is 703-928-7309. Mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams, including the Commanders and the Nationals. Scott's a regular listener of this podcast. He loves brainstorming ideas and technology 
that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, two things on the Commanders before we discuss a potential Commanders trade for Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson with our special guest, Joe Fan, the co-host of the Bet to Win podcast and a guy who knows Wilson and the Seahawks well. Joe used to cover the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest. First of all, Commanders defensive backs coach Chris Harris did not get the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator job. Uh, The Colts on Monday morning announced the hiring of Gus Bradley, as their defensive coordinator. Uh, You may recall Chris Harris was in contention for that Colts defensive coordinator job. It was on January 29th that we had multiple reports that Harris was to interview for the Colts defensive coordinator vacancy. That vacancy was created by Matt Eberflus leaving his post as Colts defensive coordinator to become Chicago Bears head coach, but Chris Harris did not get the job of Colts defensive coordinator. Uh, This is a second consecutive offseason in which Chris Harris came up For defensive coordinator vacancy, Chris Harris in January 2021 interviewed for the Philadelphia Eagles defensive coordinator vacancy. So it would appear as if Chris Harris is staying with the commanders. Uh, Washington hired Chris Harris as its defensive backs coach in January 2020. He is a highly regarded defensive backs coach. I know that that may sound funny given how bad Washington's pass defense was for so much of the 2021 regular season, but I think that a lot of that had to do with the scheme and how players were used, and those things are far more Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio things than they are Chris Harris things. You know, Chris Harris is the position coach. He's not determining schemes and roles necessarily. Uh, Harris is well thought of, as seen by him having had these multiple defensive coordinator interviews over the last two offseasons now. And remember, Washington's pass defense was very good in the 2020 regular season. Who knows if this Ron Rivera era is ultimately going to work out for our commanders. But uh, one thing that I do feel confident in saying is that the coaching staff does have at least three very good position coaches in the offensive line coach, John Matsko, the tight ends coach, Pete Hayner, and the defensive backs coach, Chris Harris. There may well be good position coaches on the staff beyond those three guys, but those three guys are good based on reputation and or how they're viewed around the NFL and or how their players have performed over the first two seasons of the Rivera era for Washington. Also regarding the commanders on Monday was an item from Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio. Yes, our old pal, Mike Florio. Fake news Florio. Uh, I've talked about Mike Florio many times over the years. Uh, He hates our team, okay? He despises our team, especially Dan Snyder. And so Pro Football Talk for years very much has been an anti-Redskins, anti-Washington football team, and now anti-Commanders outlet. Uh, The bias at times has been over the top. The information at times has been wrong. That's why I have referred to Mike as fake news Florio. Uh, There very much has been an agenda with this site regarding the team, and The agenda has been an anti-team agenda. All of that said, Mike Florio isn't always wrong. And he's not a dumb guy. He does write some good stuff. And Mike wrote a piece that came out on Monday morning on Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, which you just know Mike loves. Uh, Headline, 1067 The Fan got it right with its report regarding the Washington investigation. Writes Mike, quote, Last March, a D.C. radio station dropped a bomb regarding the then-ongoing Washington Commander's workplace investigation. Given recent developments, it's a report worth revisiting and amplifying. On March 5th, 2021, the station's longtime morning show, The Sports Junkies, reported that they had received a portion of a written report prepared by attorney Beth Wilkinson. The report included a recommendation that the league force the owner to divest his ownership of the team. The NFL quickly mobilized, calling the report absolutely false and contending that the league has received no such report. That part was accurate, as we have since learned. The league never received a written report because the league didn't want a written report. In the end, Commissioner Roger Goodell received an oral report from Wilkinson. The recommendation of a forced sale arose not just from the allegations made against Daniel Snyder, but also from the way he handled the investigation. The station ultimately issued a correction, explaining that the report it received had not yet been sent to the league. Again, the report was never sent to the league. 
The NFL didn't want anything in writing to be sent to 345 Park Avenue. Once the league had such a document, it would have become nearly impossible for the league to continue to conceal it. Still, there's no reason to dispute the accuracy or authenticity of the document that was obtained by 1067 The Fan. Wilkinson clearly had prepared a written report, regardless of whether the league ultimately said no thanks when she offered to send it, and someone got their hands on a piece of it and sent it to the station. It's an important wrinkle to consider as the controversy continues to percolate in Congress. Nearly a year ago, 1067 The Fan credibly reported that Wilkinson concluded, based on her investigation, that Snyder must go. Hopefully, someone with the authority, ability, and will to make that piece of information official and public will do so. End quote. Now, again, Mike Florio hates the team, hates Dan Snyder. Uh, Florio, in fact, used to go on 1067 The Fan all of the time. So you have various things here that very much would suggest bias. But again, that doesn't mean that Mike Florio is wrong, even though, yes, you just know that he has been doing like cartwheels the last few days. Okay, first off, what happened last Thursday, new allegations levied against Dan Snyder at that roundtable before Congress regarding the workplace misconduct scandal for the team. And then what happened last Friday, the two major reveals from documents released by Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform in the scandal, making the NFL and Dan Snyder look even worse. But again, just because Florio is biased doesn't mean that he's wrong. And I don't think that he's wrong in revisiting that Sports Junkies report. The Sports Junkies on March 5th, 2021 said that they had received information from Beth Wilkinson's report on her findings in the investigation, among the recommendations per the junkies was, quote, force the owner to divest ownership of his team, end quote. Now, multiple reports that emerged of an NFL spokesperson saying that what the junkies had reported was, quote, absolutely false, end quote, and that the league had, quote, received no such report, end quote. 1067 The Fan on March 8th, 2021, issued a correction of sorts. Quote, the league has denied receiving a final report, however, both in a general statement and in response to specific questions from us. Based on those unequivocal denials, we now believe that our source was mistaken and that the excerpts of the report that were shared with us have not yet been sent to the NFL. We do believe in the authenticity of the documents we reviewed and that they are from the Wilkinson investigation, but we are unable to confirm that the report was a final draft or that it had been delivered to the league office. As soon as we are able to report anything further on this, we will let you know both as to what occurred in our Friday report and regarding the Wilkinson investigation generally. End quote. So understand the radio station, 1067 The Fan, back down from that Sports Junkies report and admitted it to being wrong about the report having been sent to the NFL. In fact, I was told by someone that the station actually told its host to stop talking about what the Junkies had reported. 1067, the fan got scared and realized that the report had not been sent to the NFL, but there may well have been more legitimacy to that Sports Junkies report than we knew. And now, given everything that has come up, especially over the last few days, the report from the sports junkies is cast in at least somewhat of a different light, right? If not an entirely new light. Uh, I said at the time of the sports junkies report that it may well be totally accurate. You know, time would tell. I never dismissed that report. And here we are now, and time may well be telling. Remember, what we have from those documents that were released by Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform this past Friday are the following conclusions. A, the NFL and Dan Snyder have been in cahoots so that nothing would be shared regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation that either side talking about the NFL and Dan Snyder didn't want shared. B, the NFL changed course with the Beth Wilkinson investigation by having it go from having Beth Wilkinson produce a written report to having her present an oral report. And the reason that the league would do that is so that there never could be a written report that could be released. You can't hashtag release the report if there is no written report to release. Neither the NFL nor Dan Snyder has ever wanted the specific findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation out there for obvious reasons. The specific findings being made public would make both the league and Dan look worse not better. 
And the question has always been, well, how much worse would the specific findings being made public make both the league and Dan Snyder look? And off what we heard last Thursday at that roundtable before Congress, it sounds like the specific findings could make Dan Snyder, at the very least, look a whole lot worse. So yeah, the Junkies report may well have been bullseye accurate in terms of what the Junkies cited having been a written report from Beth Wilkinson. And I tell you what, if it turns out that she did recommend that Dan Snyder be forced to sell the team and that the NFL ignored that recommendation, that is a whopper. I mean, consider this. Not only has Dan Snyder not sold the team, he has in fact become a more powerful owner of the team, right? Dan Snyder last year bought out his three now former disgruntled minority partners, Fred Smith, Dwight Shaw, and Robert Rothman, at a reported discounted price of $875 million with a reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's finance committee made a special exemption. The NFL helped Dan Snyder become more powerful than ever before. Only in the NFL can it be that it is recommended that an owner sell a team and then instead the owner ends up becoming more powerful than ever before. You just can't make this stuff up. Uh, Up next, Russell Wilson to our commanders. Could this happen? Might this happen? There's a lot to be aware of when it comes to Wilson and the Seahawks. We'll get high-level insight from a man who covered the Seahawks and thus knows Wilson and the dynamics in play with his situation quite well. Joe Fan, now the co-host of the Bet to Win podcast. If you are a Commanders fan, you don't want to miss my chat with Joe on the Russell Wilson situation. Our conversation is next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so it was on Friday that the photo appeared. What is the photo? Oh, you know what the photo is. Uh, The photo is a photo that appeared on the Instagram account of the wife of Commander's interior defensive lineman, Jonathan Allen, Hannah Allen. The photo was of Jonathan Allen, Hannah Allen, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson's wife, the singer and actress Sierra, standing happily side-by-side on a football field in Las Vegas for the 2022 Pro Bowl, which took place on Sunday afternoon. The photo got a lot of us Commanders fans excited, probably half-kiddingly and half-seriously, about the Commanders potentially trading for Russell Wilson. In this offseason in which the Commanders are all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback, few things would be bigger than the commanders trading for Russell Wilson. Well, we then had this. My good friend, Kevin Sheehan, he on Monday morning on his radio show on the Team 980 said that, per sources, Russell Wilson isn't against playing for the commanders. You combine that with what NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com reported on January 16th that Russell Wilson, per sources, wanted, quote, to explore his options, to see what else might be out there for him, and quote, and heck yeah, we now have some juice to the notion of the commanders trading for Russell Wilson. But how realistic is this? Would the Seahawks actually trade Russell Wilson and to another NFC team in the commanders? 
Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Joe Fan. Uh, Joe is the co-host of a really good sports betting podcast, the Bet to Win podcast, and that's win as in the win in Las Vegas, W-Y-N-N. But Joe has covered the Seahawks. He covered the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest from July 2019 to September 2021. He also worked for the San Francisco 49ers website from April 2015 to July 2019. So Joe knows the Seahawks well, knows the NFC West well, and he joins us now. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's different now being in the sports gambling space away from the beat reporting world, but uh, I really did enjoy I'm from Seattle, so I knew that organization well before I got there, and then covering the team uh, for the you know 2019 and 2020 seasons were were really fascinating. And really the whole offseason last year leading up to the 2021 season. So yeah, very familiar in terms of Russ, where he's at, his happiness in Seattle, and what might or might not transpire this offseason. Yeah, so I'm anxious to get your thoughts. What do you make of the idea of the Seahawks actually trading Russell Wilson this offseason? Could you see that happening? There are very significant barriers to a trade. $39 million in dead cap space. What is the team that he's willing to go to because he's got no trade clause? So where is he going to accept a trade? Remember, his, his agent put out to Adam Schefter last year four teams he'd be willing to accept a trade to. And then on top of that, and the most important part, if you're going to move on from Russell Wilson and end that era of Seahawks football, the most successful era in franchise history, which team is going to be able to put a package together that you see as fair compensation for the best player in franchise history? And and what team can, can put that together where you're not feeling like you're taking pennies on the dollar? Thinking about this from a Seahawks club perspective, I mean, Pete Carroll is still the head coach, at least for now, and he's now 70. The NFC West is loaded. Russell Wilson is under contract for another two seasons and is still a very good quarterback. Why would the Seahawks want to trade Russell Wilson? Well, he's making a ton of money, and they're already low on salary cap, and you could argue that they're in a place to where they should rebuild where they don't have draft capital. Um, they don't have guys right now who are outplaying what their salary is. So you're looking at, okay, is if you're keeping Russ, how long are, are you? You're good, not great. How do you get to a point where you're getting over the hump and getting back to your first NFC Championship game since 2014? They've got, what, one playoff win, I think it is, since 2015 or 2016? You know, they haven't been very competitive when they've gotten to the postseason. And so... There's a lot of fans who look at it and say, you know, on one side, this is a team that's underachieving and not making the most and getting the most out of a franchise quarterback in his prime. And another group of the fan base that's saying, enjoy these years of relevancy for as long as you can. And so it really depends which camp you're in, which way you look at, you know, which lens you look through at these last five, six years. But I just don't know what the Seahawks do if they keep Russ. What are they able to do to where the roster opening day, week one, 2022, you say this is so much better than what it was a year ago. They're a legitimate contender and a legitimate favorite in the NFC, a loaded NFC West, um, as you mentioned. So, and then there's the other part of it is he might want out. There might be a part of Russ. I think there probably is a portion of Russ who would prefer to have a fresh start elsewhere. Um, and so that would be the other layer to it. If even if the team doesn't want to, if he wants out, then you got to see what you can get. And if a team wows you with an offer, you got to consider it. So regarding Russell Wilson potentially wanting out from Seattle, you referenced some of the stuff that came up last offseason. It was on February 9th, 2021, on both the Dan Patrick Show and in a Zoom press conference that Russell Wilson said that he was frustrated with how often he had been hit and sacked and expressed a desire to be more involved in the Seahawks' personnel decisions. Then, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on February 25th, 2021, tweeted that per Russell Wilson's agent, Wilson had not demanded a trade and had told the Seahawks that he wanted to play for them, but he also gave the Seahawks a list of teams to which Wilson would consider going. Um, That seems interesting because if you don't want to be traded away, why would you even submit a list of teams to which you'd be willing to go? So clearly there have been issues here between Wilson and the team. What are those issues? There's a lot of layers to it. I think, A, he feels like the talent around him is not what he had hoped it would be in terms of wasted free agent capital, in terms of wasted draft capital. I don't think he feels like his voice is loud enough 
in the building in terms of personnel moves, draft picks, decisions of that nature. Um, I think there's a desire to be treated like Patrick Mahomes and everything run through him rather than maybe run first approach. Um, and I think he's tired of the team being in the bottom of the league in terms of offensive line spending each and every year. And, you know, I believe and most people out there believe that sacks are partially a quarterback stat, if not mostly a quarterback stat. Um, and I think he has to take some accountability for the sacks that he takes. But you can't deny that in terms of offensive line spending, they're at the bottom of the barrel. They have been in the last six years. And they have tried to budget and piece together an offensive line. Um, and it just hasn't worked very well. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say it's a sort of a collection of all of that. Um, and, and he would tell you that his words would be misconstrued and it was much ado about nothing last year to try to kind of save that public image, but it was all very intentionally orchestrated. I can say that with a hundred percent confidence, the Dan Patrick interview that started it all. And then the subsequent stuff with Schefter and the teams come out. That's not done by accident. The Jason Luck and Flora reports that was all very calculated by his camp. And so you can't play the, you know, light the fuse, bomb goes off, and then try to say this is the media building this this much ado about nothing, that nothing's there. So it's clever, and it's very Russell Wilson because he's very image conscious and all about his legacy and all of that, which makes this a very sticky situation. He's not used to this territory of, of voicing unhappiness because he's the ultimate team guy. So I, I do think publicly it'll be quieter. There won't be as many one-on-one -on -one interviews. There won't be the media tour that you saw post-Super Bowl last year. But the rumblings will still be there, as you saw with Ian Rapport over the weekend during the Pro Bowl. Um, I expect that to sort of continue, even if it's to a lesser degree than what it was a year ago. The Commanders trading for Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. Is this at all realistic? Is this at all a possibility. We're talking Russell Wilson right now with Joe Fan, co-host of the Bet to Win podcast. He used to cover the Seahawks for NBC Sports Northwest. So you mentioned Russell Wilson being image conscious. What kind of a guy is Russell Wilson? He seems to be a good guy, although I know that there are some who feel like he's almost too good, you know, that there's a lack of authenticity with Wilson. But you tell me, what kind of a guy is Russell Wilson? He's a really good dude. And if you talk to him, he'll make you feel like you're the most important person in the room. And I don't think, I don't think any of it's phony. I really don't. And I want to pick my words here carefully because I do have a, a tremendous amount of respect for Russell Wilson, but he is a, the best way I can put it is he's a really hard guy to relate to because he does sort of he live his life and position himself. Like he is sort of, Above it all, not in terms of um, like better than other people, but sort of this man without sin, if you will. And we all know that we all have our flaws and flaws are very relatable. And we all have our our vices and this and that. And it's sort of he that kind of presents himself. And he does, too, without question. He's not perfect, but he doesn't let people into what those flaws are. You know, he's not the guy who's going to crack a joke at the presser being like, yeah, I just like had a day yesterday and I sat down with a pint of Ben and Jerry's and watched a show with Sierra. And like, we don't get that sort of deal. It's like, he lives this fairy tale life with his fairy tale family. And it's just hard to relate to. And I think his teammates have a hard time relating to him. I don't think he has, I think his, all of his teammates respect him, but I don't know how many of those guys would call him a good friend where like on a Friday night, they're hitting him up and like, Hey, let's go do this. Let's whatever. That's my read on the situation. He's just an interesting cat who is his, he, his ability to compartmentalize things emotionally is truly bizarre where you and I, Al, we could get in, we're friends and we could have this big falling out and have this big fight and it both it wears on us and where we're all stressed. He could shut that off, go to something else and not even be thinking about it. Like I, I he is able to do that with, with good things, with bad things, with any, everything in between. It's pretty remarkable what he's able to handle, for, you know, from a scheduling standpoint. I know for a fact every day, especially during a season. Now it's different when he's in vacation mode, but he's got a schedule for his day down to the minute, and he'll 
I mean, it's wake up this time, workouts this time, breakfast is this time, family time is this time, tape is this time, pre-practice workout and stretching is this time, practice is this time, post-practice meetings with coordinators and coaches this time, go home, eating from this time to this time, more family time here, record my podcast then. This, it, it, you know, and he's also all those different ventures, his, his colognes with Sierra, his good man brand clothing line. He has got everything He's got his, his toe dipped in everything. And so it's truly remarkable how he's able to put it together. I, this is all convoluted and I'm rambling at this point, but I think it is important because it is that hard for normies like you and I and the rest of us who, you know, to really relate to that because it's not normal. It's interesting to hear you lay out the kind of person Russell Wilson is. I think this is really insightful. You know, I think about what has triggered a lot of the Russell Wilson conversation here in the Washington, D.C. area, that Instagram photo that popped up on Friday from the wife of Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen, his wife, Russell Wilson, and Sierra standing side by side, happily together in Las Vegas a few days before the Pro Bowl. You know, you talk about nothing Russell Wilson does is by accident. Do you think Russell Wilson knew what he was doing in participating in a photo like that with a player on another team that is quarterback needy? Do you think that there may have been some messaging there from Russell Wilson? Maybe to a degree. I think this. I don't think Russell Wilson hates that other teams' fans fantasize about them trading for him. I think it's important for him, especially how do I make this as succinct as possible? Because I think this is an important point as well. It wasn't an accident, like you mentioned, that the day after the Super Bowl, when he was sitting in that suite, sandwiched between Roger Goodell and his wife, Sierra, looking miserable, watching that game. We talk about image, legacy, wanting to be one of the greatest of all time, play till he's 50, all these sorts of things that he talks about. And he means that very literally. Those are his goals. He, I think he knows now he's not going to be in that conversation with Tom Brady ever. No one will be, likely. But he wants to be in that conversation, that kind of tier below him. I think watching these playoffs have been excruciating for him. And this is pure speculation, but I feel pretty confident in it. That he's not a part of the conversation the way Joe Burrow is, the way Justin Herbert is, the way Patrick Mahomes is, the way Lamar Jackson is. This new era of quarterback has sort of now passed him by with the inability to get back to a championship Sunday or the Super Bowl. And I think having fans, whether it's in Washington or Pittsburgh or New York, have this this image and be in, in, his, in his Twitter mentions, come to New York, come to Washington, campaign for Russell Wilson. I think those are conversations he wants to be happening because it means he's top of mind. With Sierra... We know that celebrity wives of athletes can be influential, can at times dictate where those athletes play, can at times even be problems. I'm certainly not suggesting that Sierra is a problem, but to what extent, if at all, is Sierra a factor in Russell Wilson's situation with the Seahawks? Again, I have to say all of this is purely my own observations and what I see, what I hear a little bit, but th- th- I don't speak this as fact. I speak this as one man's opinion who's been around him. I think Russ's biggest detriment is he has his whole network and family and agent put him on this pedestal to where he can't be grounded. I don't think he has enough people in his life who will say, don't do this or hey let's look in the mirror real quick before going this route i think there's too many people in his ear saying you're god you're russell wilson this team is not doing enough for you you and again that is just in his head and there's a lot of truth to all of it and he is a future hall of famer in my opinion the greatest player in franchise history so a lot of that is legit but when you're surrounded by people all day, every day, who just tell you how great you are, no matter who, you, like I don't, I don't want to say it's impacted his, his work ethic. I mean, the dude is still grinds just as hard as anybody. But I, I do think there's something to it where it's 
yeah, I have been wrong. Yeah, this isn't right. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be better if I go to another team. Maybe perspective can be lost. And that's just human when that's sort of the conversation. Um, you can start feeling sorry for yourself pretty quickly. Um, and again, I don't, the answer is somewhere in between. Um, but that's just, again, sort of my read on it. And I hope for your listeners, it just allows some clarity on what might be taking place here across the board. No, it's great stuff. I know that I'm learning a lot. Uh, one more for you. The Russell Wilson-Pete Carroll relationship. How would you characterize that? Man, that's a good question because I think it's ebbed and flowed quite a bit. You know, I think they were sort of like a married couple last year who were going through counseling and they hated each other and they came to the table and, and walked away saying, all right, we're arm in arm. We're going to go give this another shot and we're really going to give it a shot and try our best to go do this thing. Where is it now? Pete Carroll says it's still better than it's ever been. Is it? And Russell Wilson publicly would tell you that as well. Is that actually the case? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, I could tell you also confidently that I, again, I'm saying this opinion confidently. I, I would bet a large amount of money that there's a, a non-zero percent of John Schneider who would like to trade Russell Wilson for the mere like fact that he'd never have to deal with Mark Rogers, Russell Wilson's agent ever again. And I've been, I've been really careful about when I say that and how I say that, but I, I feel very confident saying that like very, very confident saying that I know those two have had a number of difficult phone calls and you know, that relationship is super trying. Um, so yeah, I, Take that all for what it's worth. I don't think it's impossible. I think there's a ton of barriers to it. I don't even know what Washington's putting together in a trade package, but there are a lot of underlying factors there, and I think the conversation's not going away. Yeah, well, I could just tell you from the Washington, D.C. area, the commanders are awfully desperate to get themselves a franchise quarterback for a variety of reasons. So I'm not sure that there's a price that is too high to pay for a guy like Russell Wilson, even given some of the issues that you just detailed. Uh, Joe, I appreciate the knowledge so much, man. Uh, everyone listening, check out the great sports betting podcast for which Joe Fan is a co-host, Bet to Win, and that's win that is spelled W-Y-N-N. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for your time, man. All the best. Hey, Al, I really appreciate you, man. It's been a ton of fun. Hopefully we can connect soon. Well, if in fact the Wizards are about to make major changes prior to this Thursday's NBA trade deadline at 3 p.m. Eastern, what happened on Monday night was final confirmation that uh, major changes are needed. The Wizards, who have been a bad team and a dysfunctional team for months now, got smashed on Monday night. The Wizards fell to 24-29 and with a 121-100 loss to the Miami Heat at Capital One Arena as the Wizards for a second consecutive game got ripped by one of the best teams in the NBA. The Heat now is an Eastern Conference leading 35-20. The Wizards in their previous game lost to the NBA leading Phoenix Suns 95-80 at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. The Wizards on Monday night lost for the eighth time in nine games. The Wizards on Monday night fell to just 14-26. and since their 10-3 and start to the season. The Wizards have been terrible for months. The team clearly has internal problems. We two Saturday nights ago had cryptic postgame comments from Spencer Dinwiddie. We this past Saturday night had cryptic postgame comments from Montrez Harrell. We last month had a halftime fight between Harrell and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. We have had in-game issues between Davis Bertans and Denny Avdia. Things need to change, okay? And I do believe that things are about to change. The question is, to what extent are things about to change? Well, we now have this. There was a pregame meeting involving Bradley Beal, his agent, and Wizards management. So Bradley Beal on Monday night did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to an injured left wrist. Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington on Monday night reported that Beal and his agent, Mark Bartlestein, were at Capital One Arena to meet with Wizards management prior to the game. Uh, I'm assuming that this is more of a check-in from Beal and his agent with Wizards management prior 
to the NBA trade deadline is everything out there continues to be that the Wizards aren't looking to trade Beal, even though he can opt out of his contract this summer. Everything out there continues to be that the Wizards want to build around Beal, want to convince Beal to want to stay. Why? I'm not really sure, okay? Bradley Beal is a subpar defender. Bradley Beal is a bad three-point shooter. Bradley Beal hasn't led the Wizards to anything, and in the NBA, a truly elite player can lead a team to something. And even if Beal opts out of his contract this summer to re-sign with the Wizards, he'll almost certainly be doing so to be re-signed to a five-year, $241 million Supermax contract. Is Bradley Beal worthy of a five-year, $241 million Supermax contract? The Wizards just spent time trying to get out of onerous Supermax contracts, and those for John Wall and Russell Westbrook, and yet maybe on the verge of signing another player to a Supermax contract in Bradley Beal. Is he worthy of a five-year, $241 million Supermax contract? In fact, let's ask our friend Steve Harvey. Steve, is Bradley Beal worthy of a five-year, $241 million Supermax contract? Oh, hell no. All right. I mean, let's try one more time. Steve, is Bradley Beal worthy of a five-year, $241 million, million dollar Supermax contract? Oh, hell no. All right. Well, Steve has spoken, and I agree with him, and I'm guessing that many of you listening right now agree with him. It really is amazing to me how much the Wizards continue to cater to Bradley Beal, continue to try to placate Bradley Beal, and want to build around Bradley Beal, and so want to convince him to want to stay, and when he hasn't demonstrated that he's worthy of this treatment. And look, I like Bradley Beal. I'm not some Bradley Beal hater, okay? I don't think that he's a bad guy. I don't think that he's a bad player, but he's not an elite player. He's not having his best season, and yet the Wizards treat him like he's LeBron James, you know? I just don't get it. Uh, As for this latest disaster of a game for the Wizards, this 21-point loss to the Heat at Capital One Arena on Monday night, just another gutless performance by the Wizards. I mean, let's just call this what this is, all right? Uh, The Wizards right now are playing like a dead team and are playing like a team that just doesn't really care all that much, to be honest with you. Daniel Gafford did not play due to being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Wizards never led in the game. I mean, the game was a nothing game. The Wizards in the fourth quarter trailed by 35 points at 113.78. Actually, toward the end of the game, there was a skirmish between people on the Wizards bench and at least one fan. Uh, Here, in fact, was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Monday night on that incident. I'm aware of it. I kind of, at the scores table, so I turned around after I think it kind of began, to my understanding, uh, a fan or several fans were, you know, said something that was out of line. Um, Obviously, we have to take the high road. You you just can't, you know, indulge in that. But um, I think it was, you know, a a situation where something was said and then that was a bit over the line. And, you know, I think it got the best of uh, one of our coaches. But, you know, either way, you have to take the high road. Yes, you do. So some ugliness late in the game, but plenty of ugliness from the Wizards throughout the game. The Wizards were atrocious defensively. The Wizards allowed the Heat to score 121 points, including 39 points in the first quarter. The Wizards allowed the Heat to go 18 of 32 on threes. The Wizards allowed the Heat to go 25 of 44 on twos. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Monday night on yet another awful defensive performance by the whiz. Well, some of them were easy looks. Uh, I think we gave up uh, six just kind of walk-in threes, and that was kind of a priority for us is, you know, they're going to have to work for them. We know they're going to be a volume three-point shooting team. Can we take away the easy ones? Uh, you know, schematically, it, it's a little tougher with the bigs down the floor. It takes, takes the rolls away, takes some of the secondary actions, but it puts a lot of pressure on those smalls. Uh, and I thought we had great possessions. Corey had some good ones. Uh, you know, Spencer had some good ones. Pope. Um, you know, at times, but the, the easy ones in transition, the kick aheads, the easy uh, transition, walk in threes, you know, offensive rebounds, but that can't happen. 
Yeah, and yet, those things did happen. Uh, the Wizards were mixed offensively on Monday night. Uh, the Wizards were really bad, again, on threes, just 7-31. The Wiz, though, did go 29-49 on twos. Did outscore the Heat in the paint, 58-40. That was good. And the Wizards did go 21-23 on free throws. But Wizards starters continued to be woeful, including Spencer Dinwiddie, who it sure feels like the Wizards won out of here. Uh, Dinwiddie on Monday night, 0 of 1 on threes, just 2 of 5 on twos. He scored just four points in 25 minutes, 32 seconds as a starter. He did have six assists versus one turnover, five rebounds, and two steals. Kyle Kuzma, who was cooled off, he went just 1 of 5 on threes, 3 of 4 on twos, had 12 points, and a game worst plus minus rating of minus 35 in 26.57 as a starter. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he went just 1 of 4 on threes, just 2 of 7 on twos, scored just 9 points in 22.05 as a starter. Thomas Bryant in 22.02 as a starter, 8 points, 5 rebounds, 3 turnovers, and 3 fouls. Uh, The Wizards' leading scorer actually was Corey Kispert, which says a lot about a lot. Uh, Corey Kispert in 25-37 off the bench. Went just one of six on threes. That's supposed to be his thing, shooting threes. But he did go eight of nine on twos. He finished with 20 points and six rebounds, including three offensive boards. Uh, Davies Bertans did play for a second consecutive game. He played for 547 off the bench. Uh, he had been a DNPCD in each of the Wizards' previous four games, but now has played in each of the past two games off the bench. Uh, whatever. I think the Wizards are trying to trade him. So no games for the Wizards until the NBA trade deadline has passed. The NBA trade deadline is this Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. The Wizards' next game is a home game against the Brooklyn Nets Thursday night at 7.30. And we'll see if, in fact, we have a new-look Wizards team. Well, bad times right now for the Wizards. Bad times right now for Maryland and Georgetown basketball, but good times right now for Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball. Each of those teams is playing well, and each of those teams got a big win in different ways on Monday night. We begin with Wahoo which got itself a signature win on Monday night. Virginia won its third consecutive game, improved to 15-9 and overall and 9-5 and in the ACC with a 69-68 win at number seven Duke. Yes, the Cavaliers won at Cameron Indoor Stadium on Monday night. And in dramatic fashion, Reese Beekman connecting on a game-winning three in the final second of the game. What a moment with 7.2 seconds left in the second half, and Virginia trailing by two points at 68-66. Virginia inbounded the ball from behind Duke's basket. Beekman off a pass from Kihei Clark connected on a contested three from the left side for a 69-68 Virginia lead with seven-tenths of a second left in regulation. What a shot by Beekman. What a moment for Virginia. You know, Beekman only finished one of two on threes and two of five on twos, but it's not always what you do. It's when you do what you do. Uh, Beekman also finished with seven points, three assists versus no turnovers and two steals in 25 minutes, seven seconds as a starter. Cavs won this game despite a number of things going wrong. Uh, The Cavs won despite blowing a 12-point first half lead. The Cavs won despite going just two of 12 on threes. Yes, the Cavs made just two threes the entire game, but one of those threes was that Reese Beekman game winner with seven-tenths of a second left in the second half. Uh, Also, the Cavs won despite going five of nine on free throws and Duke going 18 of 22 on free throws. Not the first time in the history of the Duke men's basketball program that Duke enjoyed a sizable advantage in a home game in terms of free throws. Uh, But the Cavs won. The Cavs won. Here was their head coach, Tony Bennett, during his postgame press conference on Monday night. Yeah, no, I'm glad we were 2 or 12 from 3 instead of 1 or 12. We didn't shoot it particularly well, but I thought the guys played a real good game against Miami. And then we talked about, um, you know, I got a text from my dad, and he just simply said, lace them up and do it again. And, you know, you have a tendency sometimes to make this bigger than it is when you come in here because it's, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. You, you know, you gr- grow up watching it. You know how talented um, their team is, Coach K, all of that. But we just said, be laser focused to start. And, and play our game, get it to our kind of game if we can, 
in battle. And, and because Kihei's the only guy who played, and I thought the guys did that. And, um, you know, perhaps Duke was flat coming off a big game. I don't know, but I think we certainly had um, a real solid game, and we're just uh, trying to continue to improve and got a, a lift from everyone. Yes, you did. Uh, Cavs were terrific inside on Monday night. Cavs went 29 of 53 on twos, outscored Duke in the paint 52-28. That was great to see. The Cavs' defense was great. The Cavs held Duke to just 6 of 17 on threes. The Cavs held Duke to just 16 of 35 on twos. The Cavs got Duke to commit 15 turnovers. The Cavs committed just five turnovers and outscored Duke in points off turnovers 22. Virginia's defense is back on track. The defense had not been that good for a good chunk of the season, but the defense has gotten going here in recent games. A very impressive game on Monday night for the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner. Now, Gardner went just 8-19 from the field, all twos, and had no assists versus two turnovers, but Gardner finished with 17 points, eight rebounds, including four offensive boards and two steals in 34-54 as a starter, and Gardner helped UVA do a really good job on Duke's best player, the 6'10 true freshman, Paolo Bancaro. Paolo Bancaro is the 2021-2022 preseason ACC Player of the Year. He is the 2021-2022 preseason ACC Freshman of the Year. And yet UVA held Bancaro to one of three on threes and two of six on twos and got him to commit four turnovers. He finished with nine points, nine rebounds, three blocks, and three assists. He did some things, but he did not do many things, and he certainly did not dominate the game as he can. Tony Bennett, during his postgame press conference on Monday night, on the defensive work of Jaden Gardner and UVA on Paolo Bancaro. That's a lot. I mean, we said no one guy is going to shut down. It's it's us versus uh, those guys. And, you know, he's Jaden's been coming. He's, he's sliding well, and obviously he's strong himself. And so we just tried to you know, give as much help as we could and challenge him to, to not give him open looks. There were some breakdowns had we lost this game and certainly could have that would have really frustrated us. But um, for the most part, we made them earn their looks. And Jaden, you know, he spread out and um, again, made made him work for his looks, whether a few drives, shots and all that stuff. And again, I, he's so talented, you can see that. But um, but again, the game doesn't change. You, you make them shoot contested shots and you work to get good shots and win the majority of those battles and you can be successful. And you were. Another Virginia big who came through on Monday night was 6'11", Caden Shedrick. He in 24'11 off the bench, 8 of 8 from the field. All twos finished with 16 points and 6 rebounds including three offensive boards. Virginia's 5'10 senior point guard, Kihei Clark, 0-4 on threes. That was bad, but he also went 4-7 on twos, finished with eight points, nine assists versus two turnovers and two steals in 38-27 as a starter. Great win for the Wahoos. Next up for them, home to Georgia Tech Saturday afternoon at four. Meantime, Virginia Tech, it improved to 14-10 overall and 6-7 in the ACC with a 74 47 route of Pitt at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg on Monday night. The Hokies now have won four consecutive games off a 2-7 and seven start in the ACC. As just two days after the Hokies won at Pitt, the Hokies stomped Pitt in Blacksburg. Uh, Pitt began the game on Monday night on a 5-0 run. The Hokies then went on a 17-0 run and never looked back. Uh, This game ended up being a laugh for, again, a 27-point win for the Hokies, who, as you may recall, nearly blew the game at Pitt on Saturday night. The Hokies early in the second half of that game led by 28 points at 52-24. The Hokies did then allow Pitt to go on a 47-22 run That cut the Hokies' lead to just three at 74-71 with seconds left in the second half. But the Hokies ultimately prevailed. Uh, No such collapse by the Hokies on Monday night. Virginia Tech controlled the game for the bulk of the game. Uh, Tech actually allowed Pitt to go 10-20 on threes, but Tech held Pitt to just 5-20 of on twos, outscored Pitt in the paint 30-10. Tech tripled up Pitt in the paint 30-10. Uh, Tech's offense, really good for a fourth consecutive game. Tech went 13-27 on threes, 16-28 on twos. Tech finished with 20 assists 
versus nine turnovers. Uh, Tech now, as we speak on this Tuesday, number 17 in Division I this season in adjusted offensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted offensive efficiency is points per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Also, Tech dominated the boards on Monday night. Tech out-rebounded Pitt 36-19, including having 10 offensive rebounds to Pitt's one. A lot of guys contributed to Virginia Tech's win on Monday night. I do want to single out, though, Keve Aluma. Keve Aluma in just 22 minutes as a starter, two of three on threes, five of seven on twos, 18 points and six rebounds, including three offensive boards. How about that? 18 points and six boards in just 22 minutes of playing time as a starter. He did have two assists versus four turnovers, but Virginia Tech wins again. Next up for Tech, home to Syracuse, Saturday evening at 6. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 247, will feature plenty more on the Commanders. Also on Wednesday show, I'll discuss the Capitals' return from the NHL All-Star break. The Capsule host, the Columbus Blue Jackets, Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Oh, hell no! When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.